Welcome back, everyone, to the Cyclone Scoop podcast. Iowa State is headed into a battle against Oklahoma this week, coming off of bye week, and I am here and joined with one of our Oklahoma insiders, Parker Thune. Parker, thank you so much for joining the show this week. Absolutely, Nick. Never a problem. Looking forward to this one. Iowa State is one of the very few uh, Big 12 destinations that I've not yet gotten the opportunity to cover a game at. Obviously, 2020, uh, there were so many restrictions due to COVID-19. And uh, so I guess the last time Oklahoma was up at Iowa State under normal circumstances was 2018, was which, which was before I joined the beat. So uh, been to campus. It's been a while. Uh, never covered a game, never been to Jack Trice Stadium on a game day. So very much looking forward to this one. Awesome. Yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to seeing you again here in person. So, you know, we can kind of get into things. Obviously, like I mentioned, Iowa State is off a of bye week. Oklahoma's sitting at four and three right now off a of bye as well. Now, I know that you've been, you know, very intent, not only in recruiting side, but obviously the team coverage. You guys do a really nice job. You know, I felt like, there were at least some expectations in year one for Venables, maybe not as high as is kind of the end of Riley's tenure and things like that. Where have you kind of seen this team perform relative to expectations in year one? Well, relative to expectations, I don't think there's been as much of a discrepancy between the team's actual performance and their expected performance as you'd probably think looking at their record and their resume to this point, obviously they're four and three, but what the box score won't tell you, uh, what the schedule won't tell you, if you just looked at it and took it at face value, is that obviously Oklahoma was without Dylan Gabriel for most of that TCU game and for the entirety of the game against Texas. Uh, without Gabriel at the helm, this offense is up a creek without a paddle. And that's what everybody kind of understood about this Oklahoma football team coming into the year is that they were going to go as Gabriel went. And if there came a circumstance it was, you had to miss time for whatever reason that was really going to put this program behind the eight ball. And uh, lo and behold, they were behind the eight ball very early on a lot earlier than anybody expected or would have, would have liked to see Oklahoma run into some adversity, but uh, the Sooners encountered their first loss of the season uh, in the opener big 12 play against Kansas state. That's just a program that's had Oklahoma's number the last few years for whatever reason. Chris Klein is a fantastic coach. Uh, his system there, uh, the talent that they have on both sides of the ball, they just they bring it against the Sooners for whatever reason. That's win number three in the span of four years for the Wildcats over Oklahoma. So that wasn't the most shocking thing. Uh, obviously, the Sooners kind of ran into an unexpected buzzsaw in TCU and uh, in well, I, I suppose injury was added to insult when Gabriel ended up leaving that game in the second quarter due to a concussion. But uh, that obviously did not set Oklahoma up well the following week to contend against Texas. They were able to get back on track with that 52 to 42 win over Kansas going into their bye uh, this past week. So you started to see some positive momentum for Oklahoma when they came back home and got the opportunity to hit the field and take down the Jayhawks, who were a five and one football team, a team that uh, has already vastly exceeded expectations. So that's a nicer win than it has been in years past for Oklahoma. Uh, the offense, I think, has been about what people expected it to be. Um, not, not by any means indomitable, not perfect, but prolific, fast-paced, a lot of yards, a lot of points. They put up 701 total yards of offense against the Jayhawks. So when they're clicking... 
I mean, they're hard to stop. Defensively, there was going to be a bit of an adjustment period. There were always going to be some bumps in the road just because of how intricate Brent Venable's defensive system is versus what they formerly ran under Alex Grinch. I think the defense's performance specifically uh, has not been up to par based on expectations. I I think uh, the expectations for this defense were (laughs) that they, at, at the very least, would be a middle tier Big 12 defense when you looked at this conference top to bottom. And it's largely been pretty putrid defensively for Oklahoma. They've had moments. It hasn't been all bad, but they haven't generated a lot of pressure on the quarterback. They haven't forced turnovers. And it feels very 2018-esque, which is to say that this team is capable of beating just about anybody, but they're going to have to score 50 points to beat just about anybody. They can do it. It's it's not going to be... It, it, the wins are not going to be picturesque for this football team. Yeah. So you kind of hit on a lot of, you know, what I, what I expected, especially with the defense, that's kind of an area I wanted to get into, you know, even in some of the recent years, Oklahoma's had some big names, whether that be linebackers going to the league, you know, some, some really good pass rushers, even throughout the the struggles, you mentioned the defense has had its moments. Venable's obviously known for defense in the past and, you know, the Sooners certainly have an ability to, you know, kind of be multiple. That's something that Matt Campbell hit on in his presser this week. So who are, you know, maybe two to three names that Cyclones fans should really look out for going into Saturday on that side of the ball? Yeah, so defensively, uh, I think the guy that most everybody's going to become acquainted with if they haven't already is Danny Stutzman at the linebacker position, who really burst onto the scene strong last year as a true freshman. Uh, albeit missing several games in that campaign due to a dislocated elbow. He put together a very strong true freshman campaign, and that's carried over into his sophomore season. Much like the defense as a whole, he hasn't been perfect. Uh, He's made a few busts here and there. Uh, He has by no means played flawless football, but he pursues and he tackles as well as anybody on this football team. And he's got an NFL future, provided he continues to develop under the tutelage of Venables, who, uh, as we know, can develop linebackers as well as anybody in the country. So uh, he is the one that's kind of at the controls defensively for Oklahoma and uh, probably the highest ceiling defender, I would say, on that side of the ball uh, for OU. In the secondary Billy Bowman's status is somewhat iffy coming into this game. He exited the TCU game in the first quarter uh, due to a hamstring injury that he suffered on a kick return and hasn't played since. Now, there's little question that Billy Bowman is the best safety and perhaps the best defensive back that is that occupies OU's roster. And so if he plays, that's huge for Oklahoma. If he doesn't play, similarly, That's huge for Oklahoma because they do not have a ton of experienced depth at the safety position, and the play in the back end of the secondary has not been great in his absence. So uh, that is one guy that you're going to want to keep tabs on throughout the week as to his status leading into this game, whether he travels, uh, whether he suits up, uh, whether he ultimately ends up being a game-time decision. Billy Bowman is a guy that uh, is going to significantly impact Oklahoma's or I guess significantly impact the confidence in Oklahoma's secondary 
based on whether he plays or whether he doesn't play. And the third guy I'll throw at you is a guy that's really come on strong the last couple of weeks, had an interception in both the Texas game, and the Kansas game. That would be uh, Wyoming transfer CJ Colden, a cornerback uh, who was recruited to Wyoming as a wide receiver, ended up switching to the defensive side of the ball, had an outstanding career for the Cowboys, came to Oklahoma as a grad transfer in the offseason and didn't play a whole heck of a lot over the first few games of the season. But every time he's been on the field, he's just made plays. He's not terribly fast. Uh, he doesn't have immense physical upside, but you can see the experience and you can see the intelligence in the way he plays the position. He's a sixth year senior. So again, this is a guy that's just played a lot of ball. He's made a lot of plays in his day and you don't have to look any further than the spectacular sports center top 10 play that he made against Kansas. A one-handed interception as he was falling to the ground. Uh, the guy can make some plays in the secondary. And I would be surprised if he doesn't get quite a bit of run against the Cyclones on Saturday. Yeah, I did see that play that, you know, that, that was pretty incredible. Have you guys kind of been able to really get a feel or, or speak with Venables yet this week about kind of the opportunities for Bowman to play this week? Uh, he addressed it earlier today in his press conference and uh, he was, as, as you would imagine, he was pretty vague about it, said there wasn't a definite timetable for Bowman's return. I will say this uh, at practice, at the practice availability last night, Monday evening, uh, when we showed up towards the very tail end, Bowman was suited up. Uh, he was running around. He was doing some drills at his own pace after they all broke uh, with some of his teammates out in the secondary. So at, at this point, I would consider him questionable for this game. And based on the way that Oklahoma has addressed the injury situations with other members of this football team over the course of the first half of the season. They've been real cautious uh, with guys like Dylan Gabriel, obviously with the concussion, uh, R. Mason Thomas, the former Iowa State commit who missed uh, several games due to a hamstring injury. Uh, Damon Harmon, another safety who's been banged up, also dealing with a concussion. I would lean more towards Bowman not playing on Saturday uh, just for the sake of caution, but uh, it does seem like the possibility of him playing is very much on the table. Got you. Thank you very much for, you know, kind of the intel there. So you mentioned how important Gabriel really is to the team and this offense. Obviously, he was one of the biggest names kind of coming into this season, you know, at the quarterback position, certainly in terms of Oklahoma and really, really the country with transfers. What does he do so well? Because you mentioned the prolific offense and when they are playing up tempo and he is on, it really is special to watch. And how do you see kind of that offense built off of his skill set when it is running and going? Well, I think Dylan Gabriel is a guy that understands his own limitations and understands his role and doesn't try to do too much. He's not the biggest guy. He's about five foot 11. Uh, he's a left-handed quarterback. He's got arm strength, but nobody would accuse him of having a cannon. Uh, so more than anything else, the reason why he's been so successful to this point in his collegiate career, both at UCF and at Oklahoma, is just because he's very decisive and he's intelligent. And that's what's made him such an ideal fit in Lebby's offense. Uh, Sooners offensive coordinator Jeff Lebby obviously had some familiarity with Dylan Gabriel. Uh, they uh, were together at UCF in 2019 before Lebby moved on to become the offensive coordinator at Ole Miss for a couple of years there. So they reunited this past offseason. Uh, and the biggest thing with Gabriel, man, is he just doesn't put the ball in harm's way. 
He's got one interception this season, and the interception that he threw uh, was more due to the fact that Marvin Mims broke off a route too soon than it was that Dylan Gabriel threw a bad pass. So uh, he is remarkably accurate, and he's drawn the ire and criticism of some fans for a few balls that he's sailed, which is a tendency that he has when he misses. uh, He tends to miss high or he tends to miss low, which all things considered is not the worst thing because you're at far lesser risk of an interception the ball going the other way. If you're missing high, you're missing low as opposed to missing wide. So it's something you can live with. Uh, but at the same time, again, Gabriel's a guy with limitations to his game. Uh, he's just very good at playing within those constraints and understanding what he can and can't get away with uh, in terms of his arm talent and his ability to fit the ball into XYZ hole on the football field. Uh, he is also willing to tuck the ball and run and has understated mobility. Obviously, <laughs> that came back to haunt him at, at, T- at TCU because he tucks the ball, tries to get down, ends up getting speared, and uh, ends up sitting out the remainder of that game and the Texas game with that concussion. So uh, Sooner fans, I would imagine, still get a little bit apprehensive uh, when they see Dylan Gabriel pull the b- ball down and take off. But uh, that said, he is really good at making plays with his legs when he needs to. Not a burner, not a guy that's going to outrun anybody in the open field. But uh, when the play breaks down, when he needs to get outside the pocket and make something happen, uh, he can. And he can create with his legs, which just adds another dimension and another element to his game. Yeah, I was kind of waiting for you to hit on that because I-, I think it is a little bit underrated. I like his game from what I've seen. We, we talked about a few defenders, mentioned Gabriel. Obviously, you hit on Mims. I know Gray has done a nice job at tailback. So where do you see a couple spots where, you know, Oklahoma can attack Iowa State on either side of the ball and really vice versa as well going into Saturday? Man, it's tough because I think – I think offensively for Oklahoma, you got to be able to establish the run. And Iowa State, of course, runs that three-man front. And if Oklahoma can establish the run on Saturday, I just I don't foresee them having a ton of success offensively. That said, Eric Gray, as you mentioned, has been spectacular. And were it not for the presence of Bijan Robinson, Eric Gray is probably in line for first-team all-conference honors at the running back position. That's how good he's been. So uh, he is going to be fed the ball a lot. I would imagine on Saturday, uh, because you look at uh, his last couple games, specifically that Kansas game, 176 yards and two touchdowns on the ground. His most yards in a single game dating back all the way uh, to his freshman year at Tennessee in 2019 when he ran for 200 plus against Vanderbilt. So uh, in terms of his career at Oklahoma, it was a career day for Eric Gray against Kansas. He's going to get a lot of runs. Javante Barnes, the true freshman out of Las Vegas, is another guy that has really flashed. And so I think the key for Oklahoma, especially against the Cyclones three-man front, is going to be establishing the run and allowing Dylan Gabriel to play off of that. One of the things that Gabriel is really good at as well uh, is understanding where the mismatch is, understanding where the advantage is at the line of scrimmage and immediately exploiting that. You saw Oklahoma go to the well over and over and over again with a couple of their meat and potatoes concepts against Kansas to great success offensively. So uh, for Oklahoma, I think it starts with establishing the run and it starts with 
figuring out which of those concepts you're going to be able to exploit against the Cyclones and being able to establish a rhythm with them. Uh, for Iowa State against this Oklahoma defense, man, here's the reality. I think you just got to get momentum against this unit because they they are not particularly mentally tough. And so uh, you start to pick up chunk gain after chunk gain. You start to move the chains. They're going to start to wilt a little bit. We've seen that time and time again over the course of the season. So uh, however that happens for Iowa State, whether that comes on the ground, whether that comes through the air, that's really what the Cyclones are going to have to be able to do early in this football game. Uh, I will also add this, as I referenced earlier, Oklahoma has not pressured the quarterback ball. They have one total sack in Big 12 play, covering four games, one sack. So as long as the Cyclones can keep Hunter Deckers upright, as long as they can prevent Ethan Downs and Marcus Stripling and R. Mason Thomas from not only generating pressure, but finishing plays with sacks, then uh, Deckers is going to be able to sit back there in the pocket and wheel and deal a little bit. And uh, he's a guy with some mobility. And that's the type of quarterback that has had a lot of success this year against Oklahoma. You look at what Adrian Martinez did. You look at what Max Duggan did. Uh, even look at what Jason Bean did uh, for Kansas in that loss to Oklahoma. Uh, these are guys that all share some similar traits and all had varying degrees of success against Oklahoma's defense. And so I think it starts up front for Iowa state and it starts with keeping the pocket clean for Deckers. It hasn't been an issue for any of the big 12 opponents Oklahoma has faced so far. So as long as it's not an issue for Iowa state, that's going to be where the cyclones can start to establish uh, some success and some momentum offensively. And Parker, I think you make a really good point in terms of chunk gains really going into the last few days. I would have said that kind of has to come through the air. I know that Oklahoma's secondary hasn't been terrific and Iowa state has really been without, you know, kind of their star, impressive running back, Jirel Brock, at least a healthy version for a while, as well as a true freshman, Cartavius Norton. Now, they've both been at practice and very active there in terms of overall availability. I think you expect to see at least some version of them this weekend. So I think that's going to be a huge thing because I feel like the Cyclones really found something in the passing game down in Austin. I don't know how much of you know, that game you were able to see, but obviously you're familiar with some of what the Longhorns have done this year. And that was one of Iowa State's most complete games, certainly in Big 12 play. I think up-tempo, I think Decker's really found something. So it'll be interesting to me to see if the Cyclones try to match the tempo of Oklahoma or, you know, with more of their healthy run game, if they kind of ride that a little bit, keeping Gabriel and company off the field, and just kind of going back to their bread and butter, which to me is a healthy run game, and then opening the field up with the pass and Hunter Deckers. Yeah, you make uh, you make a great point there, Nick. And you look at Iowa State and what they've done thus far in Big 12 play. They're 0-4, sure, but those four losses have come by a combined 14 points. And so it's pretty evident that this team is more dangerous. They're a better football team than their record shows. And I think that also presents a challenge for Oklahoma because, again, you go back to mental tough toughness. You go back to preparation. Uh, this is a team that, and you can see some of the lingering influence of the Lincoln Riley regime at play here. I'm not entirely sure that 
they know how to approach a contest like this and take the opponent seriously 100%. And you you saw that you saw it burn them time and time again over the course of Riley's tenure uh, at Oklahoma, the five seasons he was at the helm. Uh, Iowa State got the Sooners at home back in 2017 as a 24-point underdog, I want to say. Uh, obviously, Kansas State got them in both 2019 and 2020. And heck, the last time the Sooners were up in Ames in 2020, they lost that football game as a favorite in Vegas. So I think that aspect of this team's makeup is starting to ebb away and it's becoming less of a concern, but still you can't help but wonder uh, if within that locker room, they're looking at Iowa state and saying, Oh, well, you know, they're, they're zero and four in big 12 play three and four overall. Uh, this is a team that we can roll up there and beat. because if that's the mentality, then they're in for a bit of a surprise Saturday because I don't think it takes a rocket scientist or a road scholar, Nick, to see that uh, Iowa State's a much better football team than their record would indicate at this point in time. I completely agree. You know, I think they're a team that really should be sitting around five and two, two and two in Big 12 play. But, you know, thank you for that, Parker. And as we kind of wrap up, I just like to you know, get, I feel like you've given a really good breakdown and fans will be able to learn a lot going into Saturday. What is kind of your prediction? And if you feel good about it, a score and why for us? Oh, that's interesting. I haven't really had the chance to think about this quite a bit yet. And I've gone back and forth a little bit. Um, I would probably lean towards Oklahoma. And I think, you look at the Vegas line, Oklahoma's a one and a half point favorite. I think you're looking at a real close game one way or another. But uh, in the end, I do think the quarterback play is what's going to swing the pendulum for me. I trust Dylan Gabriel a little bit more than Hunter Deckers. I trust Oklahoma to make one more play here, one more play there than Iowa State does. And so uh, I think you're looking at a game that's decided by a late field goal. I'm going to say 30 to 27 in favor of the Sooners Saturday. Okay. You know, that's, that's very fair, not too far off from me. And, you know, kind of your reasoning makes a lot of sense too. I mean, in those spots, Campbell even hit on it this week when games have come down to a play or a moment, they haven't necessarily gone the way of the Cyclones this season. I still feel the ability is there. I think the team really has come together a little bit since that game in Texas, just, kind of a feel I've gotten. And, and like I mentioned, health is starting to be more on the side of Iowa State. No doubt. I was higher on, you know, Oklahoma coming into the year. So some of these games have surprised me, but I just feel like there's too much good on this team, quite honestly, to fall to 0-5 because then it gets to be like, all right, it, it's really looking unlikely for a bowl. They would have to win three out of their last four at Oklahoma State, at TCU, both in there. Um, you know, and, and I feel like the health of the safety, as you mentioned, for Oklahoma will be important, but I just feel Iowa State opened something up in terms of spreading the ball around a little bit at Texas. I think that's definitely, you know, a more loaded defense compared to some of, of Oklahoma, certainly from what I've seen recently. And I think this is the spot it comes together. I, I've got like a 28 to 25 Iowa State win. I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, you know, I'm excited to see you guys again in person. And honestly, it feels like it's been way more than a week 
since I've covered a game. So I'm amped for that, but you're right, Parker. I certainly will be shocked if we don't get a good one on Saturday. Yeah, we absolutely should. I think these are two pretty evenly matched football teams. I think the Vegas line indicates that. And there's a lot at stake for both of these programs, really, because they're both going to be fighting down the stretch for bowl eligibility. Win or lose on Saturday, these are two teams that are going to have to show up every single week throughout the duration of the remainder of Big 12 play in order to secure a bowl berth. And, you know, I go back to it, like the interesting thing in the Big 12, and who would have anticipated that this would be the case? The margin between 1 and 10 in this conference is very small. TCU is unquestionably the alpha dog right now, if for no other reason by virtue of their undefeated record. But who's the worst team in this conference? You could There are legitimately five or six different answers to that question, depending on how you look at things. So the Big 12 is a really fun conference here in 2022. It's a really evenly matched conference. And that's what makes games like this so pivotal, no matter which side of the sideline you're on. Completely agree. You know, people were right that there's a lot of variance and, and parity in the Big 12, and we've certainly seen it. So we will see kind of what goes down on Saturday. Got an earlier game this week. Thank you so much, Parker, for joining the show. Thank you all for tuning in. We will catch you next time on the Cyclone Scoop podcast.